Let us pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for this day and for all the many blessings of life. We're thankful that we have this opportunity to come out and worship you. We pray that everything that we do this morning will be in accordance to your will. We pray that you will be with our number here that are mentioned in the bulletin who are sick and struggling. We pray that you will watch over them and we pray that they may be back with us as soon as possible. We pray that you will be with our speakers that stand before us this morning, be with Mike and Trent, help them to have a ready remembrance of the things they've studied. And we pray that we will put the things of the world outside of our minds and concentrate on what is being taught in your word. We pray that you will forgive us of our sins. We know that we often fall short of your will. We pray that we will be better in the future and better examples to those around us in the workplace and, and in the world itself. We pray that you will watch over us through the remainder of this service. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There are many lessons to be learned from studying the temptation of Jesus. And as you move through the various accounts of that temptation, those lessons begin to surface. And when studied in the context of the greater scheme of redemption, I believe take on even more powerful meaning for the disciple of Jesus. It's not just a matter of looking at the ways that he was tempted and learning how we deal with similar temptation, but it's also important to see how this series of temptations fits into the plan and the purpose God had for his son. When you read Luke chapter 4, you see that this was something that was planned. It wasn't just something that happened. And I believe it was strategically placed at this point in Jesus' life for a reason. It was immediately after he was baptized that Jesus suffered these temptations. And if you look at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, you see that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, and that was the result of his being baptized and the, the Spirit descending on him as a dove, and God saying, this is my son, and who, whom I am well pleased, as he was full of the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan, and he was led around by the Spirit, so he was full of the Spirit, and he was led around by the Spirit for 40 days, and he was being tempted by the devil. I think about the story of Job and how that things were happening down here on earth Job didn't know about that resulted in his suffering the way that he did. Now, I believe Jesus knew about the reason for his suffering. 
But in the story of, of Job, there is this conversation that takes place between God and Satan. And in this story of the temptation of Jesus, I don't believe that Satan just accidentally bumped into Jesus in the wilderness. This was a part of the mission of Jesus. Jesus was full of the Spirit. He was led around by the Spirit. And there was a purpose to the Spirit's activity. It was so that he would be tempted by the devil. You look at the parallel account in Matthew chapter 4. In verse 1 it states that he was led up by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. So God knew what was happening. Jesus knew what was happening. And I believe Satan knew what was happening at the same time. But as I think about the mission of Jesus in this temptation that he suffered, I go to other places in the New Testament. For example, the book of Hebrews, the, the second chapter. And when the Hebrew author is arguing of the superiority of Christ and explaining the reason why Jesus came in the flesh... The Hebrew author states that he had to be made, verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 2, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might be, become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. God had to be appeased. Sin invokes the wrath of God. That wrath had to be appeased by what Jesus did on the cross. But in the mission of Jesus, the temptation played a vital role. It made it such that Jesus would be a merciful priest. Verse 18, For since he himself was tempted and that which he has suffered, he is able. Look at that. Hebrews 2, verse 18. He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So as I study the temptation of Jesus, I fit that into the grander scheme of God's redemptive plan, and I see that this was equipping Jesus, maybe in ways we don't fully comprehend, but it was equipping him so that he would be that merciful high priest who could come to my aid when I'm tempted. In chapter 4, verse 15 of the book of Hebrews, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Now, from the practical application standpoint, we read verse 16, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What's the time of need? The time of need is the time of temptation. Who do we go to? We go to that merciful and, hate, and, and faithful high priest who has been tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. He understands he didn't have to sin to understand temptation. Temptation is not the same as sin. You can be tempted without sinning. 
But it's the temptation that leads to the sin. And every time I'm tempted, I need to understand that Jesus understands my temptation. He, he understands. He's been there. He knows what that is like. And God has a mission for my life as well. And he has equipped me with the resources to deal with that temptation. He will provide the way of escape. I have prayer. I have scripture as did Jesus who responded with the, with the it is written. He called upon scripture to help with his weakness or the temptation that he was being subjected to. And I think we also need to realize and understand that he was tempted for 40 days. And then, when he became hungry, Satan's going to begin to attack him even more fiercely than he has in those other 40 days of temptation. There are three things that I want us to see as we look at this temptation and fitting it into the mission of Jesus. Ask the question, what if Jesus would have given in to temptation? His mission would have been a failure. His mission would have been a failure. If Jesus would have sinned, we would not have had a sinless sacrifice. We would not have a merciful and faithful high priest who could come to our aid because he wouldn't be able to serve in that purpose because he couldn't fulfill the plan and the purpose of God in dying as a sinless sacrifice for our sins. But the first thing we see as we move through this passage here in Luke chapter 4, after that 40-day period, he became hungry. And then in verse 3, Luke chapter 4, the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God... Now, do you think Satan didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God? The demons believed and they trembled. You studied the demon possession of the first century and what was the common confession of the demon? They confessed that Jesus was the Son of God. Satan knew that he was the Son of God. But what he's doing is challenging Jesus. If you are the Son of God, you're hungry, tell this stone to become bread. He knew that Jesus had the power. Jesus could, could take anything and make it into bread. If you are the Son of God, turn this stone into bread. Satisfy your hunger. And Jesus responded giving emphasis to the spiritual focus of his mission by stating man shall not live on bread alone. Now the parallel account in Matthew's gospel goes on to state but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's interesting that each one of these verses that Jesus quoted are from the book of Deuteronomy. And they pertain to that period of wandering in the wilderness. The Jews wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. So we shouldn't be surprised then that Jesus in addressing the temptation that Satan was putting before him went back to that period of temptation in the wilderness 
when the Jews experienced many of the same trials. Let's go back and look first at Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I want you to see here how this verse was used in the book of Deuteronomy. It's the verse that Jesus quoted. In the 8th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, and this is a series of speeches that Moses gave on the plains of Moab prior to the entrance into the promised land. And he quoted, Jesus quoted, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. But let's read verses 1 and 2. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 1, all the commandments, God speaking to the Jews, all the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, <clears throat> testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and he fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know it was bread from heaven that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone it was physical bread but it had a different source and God was teaching them that man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. You see, if Jesus would have given in to that temptation, then he would have been relying upon himself. He would not have been showing dependence upon God. He would have been satisfying a physical need that was insignificant in the grand scheme of God's redemptive plan, which had a spiritual focus. I need to see my temptations in that light. Satan does not want me to depend upon God. Satan wants me to be obsessed and to be concerned with those things which are physical and not spiritual in nature. Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 34, that my food is to do the will of him who sent me. My food, what sustains me is not physical bread, but it's every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When Jesus fed the multitudes, when he took the loaves and the fishes and he, he miraculously performed an act which fed far more than those loaves and fishes could actually feed. Those who were fed then came back to him. They sought Jesus. They were looking for him. And Jesus said to them in John chapter 6 and verse 26, You seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Why are you coming to Jesus? Is it because you're looking for something physical? Is it because you're wanting a physical need to be met? Or is it because you understand that you have a spiritual need that only Jesus can satisfy? And then he said in verse 27, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for, for the food which endures to eternal life, 
which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. And God did that in the performance of the miracles. Jesus said to them, You seek me not because you saw signs, not because you see in me deity, not because you see that I am who I claim to be, but you're looking for something physical. That's where you're living your life. And in, in, in fulfilling the mission, Jesus knew he couldn't do that. And we should know that we can't do that either. The next temptation in Luke chapter 4 begins at verse 5. He led him up. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. Now, we had this discussion as to whether or not we had this discussion as to whether or not Satan was really in a position to give this to Jesus. If he wasn't, then he's doing what he did best. He was lying. I can accept that view of this passage. But we also have to remember that, going back to the story of Job, in order to fulfill God's purpose, which was to test Job's faith, Satan was granted certain powers for a limited period of time. The Bible does describe Satan as being the prince of the power of the air. The Bible does say that our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against these, these powers and these authorities and these beings in the spiritual realm. The Bible does talk about the, the whole world lying in the power of Satan. And arguably... That power was taken away when he was bound in Revelation chapter 20 and he no longer had the power to influence and control nations as he once did. Again, that's a complex, complicated discussion. But what is easily understood is the response of Jesus, and that is, you shall worship the Lord God and serve him only. Jesus understood that the path to glory was not going to be through authority that came to him from Satan. The path to being the king of kings and lord of lords was the cross. It was a death. It was a sacrifice. That was God's plan. And you have to understand if you're going to fulfill the mission of God, there is only one God who can tell us what that plan is. And we must worship and we must serve that God. Now, Jesus quoted again from the book of Deuteronomy. So let's go back to chapter 6 once more, the book of Deuteronomy, and let's look at how Jesus used the situation and the passage to address the temptation that Satan put before him. In verse 13 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, you shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. But go back up to verse 10 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build and houses full of all good things which you did not fill and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself. God's going to do all of this for you. He's going to bring all these blessings into your life. And when he does that, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Who are you going to worship? Are you going to forget? Watch yourself, verse 12, that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Then, verse 13, you shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his names. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the people who surround you, for the Lord your God is in the midst of you. He is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. You see, if Jesus would have bowed to Satan, he would have been a pagan. He would have been a pagan, just like those who worshipped demons during the Old Testament period of time, demons who manifest themselves in these idolatrous practices. Well, from my lowly perspective and my situation, what I see is I don't worship idols as they did. But I am tempted to practice idolatry of a different form. And that form is in Greek. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, Therefore consider the, member, the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Greed which amounts to idolatry. Greed is wanting more and never being satisfied. <clears throat> it's not improving your situation in life, but it's having lust for more. It's always, I need more. I cannot be satisfied. Then, what Satan puts before us and says, worship me and all this will be yours. That becomes my idol. And anything that stands between me and serving God is my idol. I may not say it's my idol, but it becomes obvious that it's my idol because it keeps me from doing the things I know God wants me to do. And the final temptation that Jesus faced in Luke chapter 4, he was led to Jerusalem. Satan had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and he said to him, if, if, if you are the son of God, again, prove it. He knew he was. Prove it. Throw yourself down from here. Now he brings scripture himself into the discussion. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, this was a place in the Old Testament that did speak of the, protect, the protection of God, God's providence. Well, if you are the Son of God, surely if you jump off, 
The angels are going to catch you on the way down. They're going to save you. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It's one thing to have trust, but it's another thing to put God to the test. You see, when I start putting God to the test, I have forgotten who is the potter and who is the clay. The potter can do with the clay as he wishes. If God wants to test me, that's his business. But I can't test God. I can't challenge God to do something that is in the category of presumptuous sin. I need to pray that God will keep me from that. Now let's go back to Deuteronomy because I think this is especially important to see the passage that Jesus quoted and what it related to in the Old Testament story of the Jews and their period of wilderness wandering. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, again... We read through verse 15 just a moment ago. The statement is made, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. Well, what is that about? Go to Exodus chapter 17 and you'll find out. This is very soon after the Israelites left Egypt. In Exodus chapter 17, in fact, if you go back to the chapters immediately preceding, you'll see where God provided water for them at Marah, where the waters were bitter. He then brought them to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water. That's chapter 15. Then chapter 16, the Lord provided manna, and then the Lord provided meat. So God had already given them everything that they needed. Verse 17. Uh, chapter 17, verse 1, that all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? I want you to read that closely. Put your eyes on that. Why do you test the Lord? We're going to see a connection between quarreling and testing. But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses, and they said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? What, what, what did they forget? God had already given them water. God had already given them manna. God had already given them quail. God's taking care of them. You know, if you can do something once, you can do it again. So my, Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more, and they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people, and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he named that place Massah which means test. And Meribah, which means quarrel. Because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord. 
saying, is the Lord among us or not? What if Jesus didn't trust God? If he would have jumped off the temple, it wouldn't have been a matter of trust. It would have been a matter of testing God. Testing God and trusting God work against each other. You see, when we begin to quarrel, when we begin to grumble, when we begin to complain about our situation in life, what are we doing? We're not trusting in the Lord to provide, are we? We're testing the Lord. We're not going to say it. We don't even see it. We don't even realize that is what we are doing. But that's exactly what we're doing. Because that's what they did. They grumbled, they complained, they quarreled. They tested the Lord instead of trusting the Lord to take care of them. And if that's the way we're going to live our lives, we're never going to fulfill the mission of God. Jesus would have failed in his mission had he subjected to Satan, had he worshipped Satan, had he placed a focus upon the physical instead of the spiritual, his mission would have failed. Your mission, my mission, will fail if we do the same thing. Trusting the Lord, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Well, that takes trust. And trust takes faith. But if I'm going to fulfill the mission that God has for my life, I'm going to have to do it. But all along the way, did Satan want Jesus to fail? He didn't even want Jesus to be born. The dragon was standing there at the feet of the woman as she gave birth. Herod sought to put the infant to death. Satan knew full well what God was up to, and he was seeking to frustrate the plan and the purpose of God. He knows what God is up to in your life. That red dragon went off to make war with the children. And he's making war with the children today in the form of you and I. And the closer we get to the promised land, the harder he's going to work. I used to think it would be easier the older I get. But the older I get, the closer I am to death, the closer I am to the promised land, and the more concerned Satan is that I fail in that mission. And so the temptation, the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, all of which we see in these temptations, he begins to hurl relentlessly at us because he wants us to fail. But praise be to God that we have a merciful and faithful high priest who will come to us in time of need. Because he understands. And it was not just a matter of being tempted. It was a matter of being tempted so that the mission would fail. Satan left. Ministers, uh, angels came and ministered to Jesus. 
And then the Bible says that he left, chapter 4, verse 13, the book of Luke. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. He never gives up. He's never going to give up in your life. So when you're tempted, what do you do? Think about Jesus. You think about Christ. Let's go to God now in prayer.